The level of hatred for Comic Sans, I don't totally understand. On Sunday morning with my cup of coffee, flipping through the most recent issue of Science. It was terrible. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. Today on the show, we tell you how to read a stack of research papers in record time. Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 32. I'm Joshua Hall. Episode 32. I'm Daniel Arneman. And we will discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Dan, you threw a little Francais in there on me I this did. week. You know what time it is. It is Mardi Gras week. Um, word origin for those of you paying attention, Fat Tuesday. Mardi Gras means Fat Tuesday. Fat Tuesday. But... We are neither fat nor is it Tuesday right now. But well, that's fine. But we are celebrating Mardi Gras. Yep. And we have a special beer in honor of Mardi Gras. Dan, I was, re- I always feel fortunate as people have started to bring bring us beer to drink on the show. It is your main goal. That was my main goal in starting this podcast. Number one, get free beer. Number two, help people. Whatever. Yeah. Two is a distant second to number one. But yeah. But my friend and colleague, Jessica, a native of New Orleans, she and her family travel travel down for Mardi Gras every year, and she also would want me to make sure everyone knew that Mardi Gras has a family aspect to it as well. It's not just the Bourbon Street throwing around of beads and getting sloppy drunk. That's the only part I've heard of. I've not heard of this family <laughs> Apparently, part. there's other stuff. But okay, anyway, great. another tradition in New Orleans around this time of year is... The presence of Abita Strawberry Harvest Lager. And Abita, the the beer I know from them is the Purple Haze. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's their most popular brew, at least outside of Louisiana. But apparently this one's a big deal. I actually did a little research on it. There are news articles that come out around the, the late winter every year announcing the arrival of the Abita Strawberry Lager. And apparently one thing about this, about half of the strawberry lager stays in the state of Louisiana and only half gets exported out. And I will say... Smuggled out in this case, right? That That is true. Abita strawberry lager is not yet available outside of Louisiana. So this is pretty awesome that we've got our hands on some right now. The other thing that's cool is I guess it tastes a little different every year because it depends on the local strawberry harvest for that season. Well, let's give it a taste. This is good. It really does actually have a strawberry flavor. Sometimes you get these uh, flavor... You know, they put the picture of the thing on the can, but it doesn't actually taste like that. This one actually does taste like strawberries. Yeah, and my fear was that this was going to be a super sweet beverage that was more akin to a wine cooler than a beer, but that's not true at all. It uh, is not really that sweet, but you do get that strawberry essence. So, Dan, I have a, a couple a couple news articles before we jump into our topic for this week. The first one is, we had a great talk with Dar Wilson Grant a few episodes back about the process of leaving academia behind and pursuing other tracks and how challenging that can be. Yeah, Yeah, stepping off the tenure track. And we got great response from that. I learned so much from Dara. If you really enjoyed hearing from Dara and thought, I would like to hear more from her, well, you have the chance to do that. So coming up on Wednesday, February 24th, 
at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Dara is going to be presenting a webinar called Leaving the Ivory Tower, Managing the Emotional Side of Career Change. So my feeling is that this is going to go in-depth on some of the themes and topics she brought up during her, her interview with us a few weeks back. So we'll post a link to this. It's through Bite Size Bio. We'll post a link on the show notes, but I would highly recommend um, you guys listening to that, especially if you really enjoyed hearing Dara a few weeks back. I will take any chance I can to listen to Dara talk, so that'll be great. The other thing, Dan, last week we talked about presentations and how to make better slides. Yes, so, we did. I was very passionate about that topic, if you'll recall. You very much were, and I've actually implemented some of your tips as I've put some presentations together this week, so thanks for that. But one of the things uh, I did on our social media was ask people what their own pet peeves were about PowerPoint slide design, and there were really seven common complaints that rose to the top, and I thought I would read those really quick. Yeah, let's do it. So things to avoid, the things that people really hate, and you typically don't want people to hate your slides That's in a, general. a bad start, I think. Yeah. Number one, overwhelmingly too much text. Yep. Guns don't kill people, bullets kill people. Absolutely. And everybody, they gave stories of sitting in the back and just seeing this wall of text pop up and just shutting down entirely. Yes. And just because you're putting bullets up, you're not necessarily yeah. summarizing. No, you're not. The next one is related to that. That was do not read your slides. Yep. We talked about that. You cannot listen and read at the same time. Yep. The next one, I don't know if we talked about this, but this came up several times, and that is make the title of your slide the summary or conclusion. Don't just label it results. Yeah, I think that that's reasonable. The general nature of results doesn't tell you what it's about, and if somebody kind of tuned out, they can at least catch up with where you are. I have a slight problem with putting that title up there before you've actually delivered the punchline because then they're going to know, uh, know what you're about to say which may or may not kind of ruin the, the surprise, but it just depends on the type of talk you're giving. Yeah, you know, I kind of like that because then let's say a title is Protein A Interacts with Protein B, and then you show me the data. Now at least I have in my mind, well, this is what they think is going on. Now I can decide if I, I've got something in my mind. I'm, I don't know, I can yeah, try I think to that makes, see I if I agree. Um, the next thing is figures with text that's too small, especially figure legends and data labels. Yeah, everybody's squinting in the back row. Overuse of animations. Yep, we talked about that. Boomerang things, and I will find you. Number six was presentations that are too long. Yep. Just because you have a piece of data doesn't mean you need to show it if it doesn't fit into the story. Um, so, yeah, a little bit of restraint goes a long way. Yeah, I don't think anyone's ever been to a scientific talk and thought, man, I just wish that lasted five extra minutes. Just ten more hours of this, please. I could have listened all day. Yeah. And the very last thing, Dan, that came up more than a couple times, was no Comic Sans. It's incredible to me that Comic Sans is still included in software packages, but it is, and and people, if they see you do it, they're not going to think you're being funny or casual. They're going to think that you just didn't get the memo that nobody uses Comic Sans. The, the level of hatred for Comic Sans, I don't totally understand. Yeah, uh, obviously, it's, it's gone pretty far. It's, it's probably come full circle now. People will start using it because it's ironic or something. Yeah, it's almost an unhealthy obsession with hating comic sans but don't use it because there are enough people out there who will hate you just because you used comic sans yeah lots more tips in the last episode so uh go back and find that that was powerpoint presentations that don't suck all right dan so this week we're going to shift gears and we're going to talk about another component of being a scientist that 
is ubiquitous and very important, and that is reading papers. So we got an inquiry about this, right? Oh, papers. <laughs> yeah. That's... Do you miss reading scientific papers? Well, you know, I, one of the things I think about is one of the things I, I took from graduate school that I really value is the ability to read papers. So if if somebody I know has a health issue or I'm interested in some new kind of research or I see a news article, I do love the fact that I know how to get to the information and actually understand it. But yeah, the stack of papers that piled up on my desk because my PI would like drop them. Hey, you need to read this and this and this. It was just like, oh, I hate this. Well, you know, Dan, just what you said brings up what's probably a spoiler alert for what I think is going to be the take-home message. And that is, even though you don't have to read papers on a daily basis with your job, you don't necessarily mind if there's something specific you're looking for. That's true. Well, let's, let me read the question for us, and then you can tell us uh, how to make this a little bit better. This came in from a listener. It says, hello, hello, PhD. I know that scientists are supposed to have the trait that they critically read academic papers. However, I cannot stand reading papers. I find no interest or curiosity in even reading science or nature, let alone anything else. My best avenue of scientific reporting comes from iflscience.com. Any tips besides read more and keep reading to overcome this? I would say just read more and keep reading is really the... Oh, oh wait, we're not supposed to say that. <laughs> you know, I read this question and the first thing I thought was, oh man, maybe, maybe this person's in trouble being in science. They really hate reading papers. But then I started thinking about it and thought, you know what? Reading papers does kind of suck in a lot of ways. Like, I didn't necessarily love reading papers. And as I thought about it, you know, I realized that is a big myth that I think a lot of trainees have, especially early in their career and one that I had as well. And that myth is that scientists love reading papers. Yeah, it seems like you, everybody must love it because that's what you're trying to do, publication and, and getting out there. You must, you know, that must be something great. Yeah, and, you know, I talk to a lot of PIs who are working with their trainees and often something that PIs will say they generically want their trainees to do is, I just want them to read more papers and read the literature more. And so I think that can be interpreted, though, as, well, I should, if I'm a successful scientist, I should have this innate desire to just pick up science papers at random and just ravage them, right? Yep. Yeah, the obligation itself is kind of poison. You remember being in high school or, or college and you had to read whatever novel? You may have loved, you know, Lord of the Flies independently on your own, but if you have to read it for class, it's just like, oh, I don't care about this thing. I don't want to read it. And I think the unspoken expectation that everybody should be reading all the time kind of ruins it on its own. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, Dan, I see you know, throughout my time, I've seen a lot of people who have like the subscription to science, right? And so they've got the science laying around. And I remember thinking as a grad student, okay, science and nature, I should be on Sunday morning with my cup of coffee, flipping through the pages of the most recent issue of science. And I actually remember trying to do that at one point. Wow, you sound like a really good time. That's fun. It was terrible. I had no interest in randomly reading articles in Science or Nature. And so, you know, I felt guilty about it for a while because I thought, well, if I was a real scientist, I would want to read articles out of this flagship scientific journal. But I think what I eventually found was that in reality, scientists find certain papers useful for different reasons. That makes sense. So if... if there's a paper that I actually need to read, I might be a little bit more motivated to read it. Absolutely. And so I think an initial tip that we could give is don't read scientific papers like you read a novel. 
All right, and this may sound basic. You may already know this, but I encounter a lot of students when they're first starting out that they're given a paper to read, and where do they start? They start at the, the introduction. Beginning. Yeah. yeah, and that's really not the best way to approach it because it's going to take you a lot of time, and you don't have unlimited time. And so, I think what you need to ask first for any paper is why am I reading this paper? What is my reason for picking up this paper in the first place? Depending on what your reason is for needing to read that paper, that might dictate what specific parts of the paper you read and what parts you maybe don't read. Can I just interject here? Because, you know, this might have been obvious to you, Josh, but it wouldn't be obvious to me. I th- when I think of reading a paper, I have this like puritanical guilt that I need to start at the beginning. And if I miss a piece, I better go back and really understand what they meant in subsection four. And then I got to go back to the picture and come back, you know, um, I think a lot of us feel that the right way to read is the same way that we did it in high school, which is you've got to cover every inch of it because you're going to get tested on it later. And that, what you're saying is you're giving us permission to just throw that away. I am absolutely giving you permission to do that. And, and I think you're right, Dan. I think almost in some way there's this thought, well, I can't claim I read this paper if I didn't actually read every word from introduction to conclusion. Yeah, that's right. And and in my textbooks, I had to read every paragraph. In my uh, college work, I had to read every page. So why, are, why do I not have to do that now? Yeah, so first, I think, and this is a challenge. We could talk about this in a different episode, but thinking about shifting from the mindset of how we have done education, at least in the United States, how we have done education up until graduate school. And you're right, Dan. Often, if you're given something to read for an educational purpose, you might be expected to know any part of it and you're tested on any part of it. But in graduate school, you turn a corner where now it's all about gaining information and learning things, discovering things as you need to use them. And so we have to think of papers more as tools to help us gain information or build a project or whatever it is. And so let's talk briefly about some different reasons why you might read a paper. All right, one, and this is a common one, is maybe you need to keep up with your field. Okay, so you're in a lab, you're working on a project, and it's important to know what people around you are doing, right? You don't want to... Or if somebody scooped your work. I always hated that <laughs> that paper that came out that you're like, oh, I've been working for eight months on this and they already did it. Good it, to know, though. So I didn't so you don't, it, that, yeah. That's absolutely true. But, you know, it can also save you a lot of time by knowing what other people have done and what's worked for other people. What I want to mention first is I thought about, you know, advising people to keep up with their field. Often this can be pretty narrow in scope. So depending on what your your field is, there may only be a very small number of papers that you really do read thoroughly, right? And those are the ones that really, really bump up against the type of project you're doing or want to do. Yeah, that being said, if it's in your field, the introduction probably doesn't help you out a lot. You should know all of it. Absolutely. You can, if it's something that basically is the same background or big picture question is you absolutely don't start the introduction skip it a paper that you're just trying to keep up with in your specific field yeah go right to the results and the methods and the interplay between the two and think well huh how specifically did they do those experiments to to get those results because chances are you're going to be fairly knowledgeable about those types of experiments and those types of questions Um, but it's important to note that those results may directly impact the experiments you are doing so it's really important to know 
what other people have done and how their conclusions fit into your own specific project. The discussion might be important, just to, it might give you some ideas for how other people think about things, but really I think it's the results and the methods that are going to be important for those types of papers. Now, a different reason that you might read a paper is maybe you want to learn a method. So I know several times in graduate school, maybe I was going to try out some different way of answering a question, some method I had not done before. And so I would go to the literature really not looking for specific topics or, or research avenues, but looking for papers that specifically use the type of method that I was going to do. And so in those cases, you just scan the paper for the method section, maybe look at the result that came from that method and discard the rest. And so it would be silly to find a paper if I wanted to do a biofilm assay and I found a paper where they did a biofilm assay for me to start with the introduction. You don't want to know how this fits into the more the broader research spectrum. Yeah. I don't care. Take what you need and then leave. Okay. What's next? So another thing you might want to do is maybe you are researching labs you might want to join. Maybe you're a grad student looking for rotations of, of lab of labs to rotate in. Maybe you're finishing up grad school, you're thinking about postdocs, or you're an undergrad looking into faculty at different institutions you might want to go to grad school. So I think that's even different. You're going to have limited time, and you want a more broad view of what individual scientists are working on. So my advice would be, if you're just researching faculty, just focus on the abstract and maybe even the introductions in this case to get a feel for What's the big picture? What are the big questions or the focus of the lab that I might be interested in joining? Am I interested in that? Is that something that, that I want to do? Rather than delve into the, the minutia of the results. This is the scientific equivalent of Facebook stalking your new mentor, just to kind of get a flavor of what they're working on, but you don't actually need to know every detail of what they've worked on. No, and I think you know that could be a, a great tip if you're getting ready to interview at a graduate school and you've got the faculty you're going to interview with. Don't feel like you have to read in depth all of their papers, but just scan the abstracts, look at the introductions, just to familiarize yourself with generally what their research focus is all about. I think I think by and large we should be pretty good at this type of thing now. You know, the internet is full of information and none of us reads everything. If there's a, a bulleted list, we read the bulleted list or the headline. And I think we're getting very good at picking out the piece of information we really want out of the internet. So now we're just giving you permission to do this with your scientific research. Absolutely. In graduate school, the last reason why you may need to read a paper is if you're early on in your graduate training, maybe you need to read a paper for class. A lot of graduate level courses are paper-based. In those cases, that can be really good practice for reading papers efficiently. Very quickly learn to identify what you need, hone in on it, and then discard the rest. Does that go for journal club too? Did you ever do journal club? Yeah, I, that's what I would often do for journal club is I knew that mostly we would be discussing the figures. So I would just start at figure one. And then if there was any information I didn't understand or know why they did something, then I would go back in the text to try to find it. I mean, the beauty of how papers are organized, it's very methodical. So you know they're going to talk about figure one first and then figure two. And so you could scan the text for the figure one legend and read a few sentences up and see if you could identify what you needed from that. It'd be really annoying if they just did it in random order. <laughs> figure square shape. And just put it wherever <laughs> Where they is like, yeah. it? So I think that is my big tip is 
don't feel stressed that you have to read every paper for every reason, cover to cover, to claim that you read it. But instead, remember the paper is a tool, but identify what you need that tool or that specific paper to do. Hone in on that, focus on that, and then move on. So one other thing I feel like we have to address is that the the listener finds no interest or curiosity in, in reading the journals. And, you know, on one hand, you know, my feeling is this might be a pressure that the the students putting on themselves, feeling like they should enjoy it more than they do. But I think it is, to a certain degree, important to pay attention to what you naturally want to read and what naturally interests you. So I can remember being a postdoc, and we had two rotation students in our lab, and you know they enjoyed our lab just fine, but they were both trying to decide between our lab and a different lab they had previously rotated in. And I heard them talking, and they were really agonizing over their decision. And so even at that time, I liked to insert my (laughs) career advice. So what I suggested that they do would be imagine taking a paper from our lab and taking a paper from the other lab and setting them next to each other and really asking themselves honestly, which one would I be more excited to pick up? Which paper would I pick up first and want to read? And they picked your lab. And unfortunately, both of them picked the other lab. Did the other pic- did the other paper have like more pictures in it and <laughs> more exciting animated GIFs? I don't know. Maybe so. Uh, actually, I guess word got back to my postdoc mentor and she gave me a hard time about chasing people away from the lab. But it's true, though. You're going to naturally respond to certain types of, of research. Hopefully, you are in a lab where you are interested in what you're working on. And so that'll help get through those papers that are part of your field. But yeah, if you pick up a, an issue of nature... It has a hundred different types of science in it. And I wouldn't expect anybody, unless you're really just an amazing Renaissance human being, to be interested in each and every one of them. So uh, figure out what you do gravitate to and, and keep up with that. And Dan, I mean, you are good evidence of, of this and to a certain degree in your own life. I mean, I remember in grad school, there were certain types of things that you like to read about, right? Yeah, so uh, eventually I started um, reading a lot of blogs and and not just research articles, but Um, I was gravitating toward energy blogs and efficiency blogs, and now that's what I do for a living. Um, But it is a really good indicator. If you you subscribe to certain journals or certain magazines or you read a particular blog all the time, you probably care about that topic, and it's a good uh, sign that that's something you really want to work on. Yeah, so definitely pay attention out there to things you naturally read without thinking about it, things that you're drawn to, and, and don't overlook that. Because sometimes, you know, with research... I think we can fall into certain research areas just based on circumstance. So I know for me and maybe for others, being at a small undergrad institution or even at a large one, you kind of take the opportunities that you happen to have offered to you, um, maybe without putting a lot of thought into what you're interested in, but just where there's space, right? But you can very quickly get pigeonholed into that. You know, I enjoyed bacteriology, but I did that as an undergrad. And then I thought, well, I might as well do that as a grad student. And, you know, you can kind of stay in this path without asking yourself, wait, is this really what I'm naturally interested in? Yeah, which Reddits are you subscribed to? I think that's a good one. So for people that are really into TMZ, what kind of science should they be (laughs) studying? Well, you know, I did want to say... Sociology or... I mean, I read comic books sometimes, and I don't necessarily think that means I'm going to be a comic book artist or a 
or a superhero. It does mean you will be a nerd, though. <laughs> Guilty as charged. But, you know, pay attention to certain topics that interest you or spark something inside of you. And, you know, think like, hey, is there a way I could work on that or start to figure out more about that and, and try to move in that direction? Because I think one thing that's cool about science, about the science training path, is there really are these transition points, these hard transition points from undergrad to grad school, from grad school to postdoc, from postdoc to something else, where you really can reinvent yourself, right? So for example, let's say, like me, you were a bacteriologist as an undergrad and as a grad student, but you realize, hey, you know what? I've always been interested in neuroscience. Well, there's really no reason why for your postdoc, you couldn't look into neuro labs. Now, what you would probably need to do is explain yourself, like why you were making that change. But really, you know, that's the beauty, I think, sometimes of transitioning to the postdoc is people do it all the time. They shift fields. Your PhD doesn't just mean you're an expert in the specific topic that you researched, but you have the ability to learn something new. So the more aware you are of what your natural interests are, um, then don't be afraid to to try to make a change in a different direction. Okay, well, this has been really helpful for me. I think uh, I I came in with some misconceptions personally about how to read papers, and so I think there's some freedom now in in pursuing things that I'm interested in and finding um, a way to read them that's not quite so time consuming and really gets me the information I need. And and really, what what you're saying is these are tools to help you do your job, and and you have to learn how to use them well. Absolutely, there might be a select few papers that you do read cover to cover, but the rest, figure out what you need from them, take it and discard the rest. And you know, don't necessarily expect you're going to get the same warm, fuzzy, emotional, high reading scientific papers as you do whatever you read for pleasure or for a hobby. That's really an unrealistic expectation. But do pay attention to the things you naturally are interested in reading about, because maybe you can realistically move towards those in the future. Great advice. Are you ready, sir, for an etymology puzzle? I am very much ready. This one is, I, this was more tricky than I expected. I got several wrong answers this week, and, and I'll read the clue again. I have a guess. Okay, but well, I, let me read the clue. Okay. I gotta get to, let okay. me get through it. Uh, the clue was written by Megan Bond at Rice University. It says, in the dark of the lab, this technique allows you to see a ghost. All right, I was wrong last week, so I'm hesitant to guess again and okay. be wrong this week. I'm going to guess spectroscopy. Ding, 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 ding. Yes. You got it. My drought yeah, is that, over. <laughs> I, got, I got a couple of wrong answers this week. I think it was a really tricky one because some of these uh, words in the clue actually could mean different things. So um, let me start with the, the scope part, the scopus. That's Greek, and it means uh, watcher or one who watches. So we know about telescopes and microscopes and things like that. Interestingly, spectra... Uh, for spectroscope, spectrum is Latin through Greek, but it means um, apparition or specter in the Latin. It comes eventually from Greek from that same uh, scopus. So this is like the inception of word clues. It's like scope scope, uh, but but basically it's describing this apparition that appears when uh, when a spectrum is produced. Interesting. So let me give you the clue for next week. And this is this is this one's timely based on recent events. Uh, the clue is: scientists made a heavy and important discovery when they observed this type of wave created by the collision of two black holes. I'll read it again: scientists made a heavy and important discovery when they observed this type of wave created by the collision of two black holes. Remember, I'm looking for a scientific word described by the clue, and once you get it, you'll find the literal meaning of that science word is a phrase in the clue itself. 
If you think you know the answer, email it to puzzle at hellophd.com and I will randomly select a winner from all the correct responses and send the lucky puzzler an Amazon gift card. I would like to send the winner a black hole, but that would be very difficult. That sounds mean. I guess so. That would probably implode something. (laughs) Well, Dan, as always, it's been a pleasure. Enjoyed it. Have you uh, finished your strawberry ale? I am finishing up my last few few sips yet and enjoying the the smugness of knowing I'm getting this before anyone else in the area. It makes me want to hear Strawberry Fields for some reason. It's, that's what's running through my head. Yeah, we should play that on the way out. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us because you have a question you'd like for us to talk about on the show or comments on a past episode, you can email us podcast at hellophd.com. You can connect with us on Twitter at HelloPhD or send us a message on the Facebook page. Happy Mardi Gras.